if you see a county or a government owning all the other land in the subdivision, it's usually not a good sign because those are probably all foreclosed because no one wanted them. Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Podcast, where we help you unlock your potential freedom through land investing, real estate investing, and entrepreneurship. Hey everyone, this is episode 138 of the Real Estate Investing Podcast, discussing buying and selling infill lots. I'm your host, Daniel Apke, joined again by my brother and business partner, Ron Apke. Before we get into the show, let's go over a question from one of our featured Discord members. Today's question is from Susan. Susan asked, does anyone double close and what would be a good opportunity to do so where it makes sense? Very good question. Uh, you said Susan? Yes. Very good question. It's something that we have done before. It's not one of our main focuses. And double closing is essentially finding an end buyer before you actually purchase it. This takes some time typically. So what if you are to double close, I always suggest like keeping the initial seller updated and be extremely honest with them. Uh, because I think if you're just like trying to hold them on, like you could eventually lose the deal by any means. And uh, I, we like purchasing upfront, Susan, to be 100% honest with you. We like evaluating deals. If we feel good about the deal, we put the money up. So that's what we do 98% of the time. There is some money to be in double closing, but you're going to get undercut. You're going to get cut out of the deal quite a bit. Like expect that to happen. I don't know what percentage it is, but if they get another offer, that's a cash offer. Um, and they, the other offer says that they can close in two weeks, expect them to go with that offer opposed to your uh, double closing offer. Yeah. And it really makes sense to do when you're unsure about the property or there's question marks or the profit's not there. Like if you have a $40,000 sell for 55 or sell for 62 or something like that, and you can't get deal funding and you're not going to buy it and the risk is too high. If you can double close and get permission from them to list it on the market, Ron, I think that's where it makes most sense. Um, so I, I think it, it's case by case, like the worst deal, the higher risk, the more appealing double closing is because essentially you're not buying it. So there's very little risk on you. The risk is losing the deal. So then you can double close, list it and get an assignment type of thing going. I agree. Cool. Well, let's get into the show. Today's topic, buying and selling infill lots. Many of our members, Ron, are switching from infill lots to actual bigger pieces of land. When we were early on, we were buying quite a bit of infill lots, just smaller properties. Uh, but, you know, it seems like a lot of people right now, it's been a huge, huge topic. I think it's because a lot of the wholesalers, we did, a we did a show a few weeks ago on wholesalers come to the land industry, Ron. Mm -hmm. And I think their instinct was infill lots because that's what they're used to. That's how they contact. It just made yeah. more sense for their business model from the wholesaling perspective. And I think that's why it got hit so hard, these infill lots. But now here we are, early 2023, Ron, things are slowing down. People are switching from infill lots to bigger actual rural vacant land. And I, I believe, Ron, new builds are down around 30% year to date compared to last year to date. So uh, year to date, 2023 versus 2023, 2022 year to date. And I think that's a big part of why that trend is kind of causing people slower time on market in, in those certain situations. Yeah, I think uh, I think some wholesalers run in to these infill lot deals and then they're like, okay, I made a little money on this deal. Maybe there's more to land and then they end up transitioning land and they like naturally like, okay, I made money in infill lots. Uh, here's an infill lot course. Here's infill lot instructions on how to do this. I'm going to transfer everything that I'm doing in infill lots or in wholesaling, like you said, over to infill lots and it doesn't transition like that. And 
I think the biggest issue right now is the lack of building going on. Like it is a huge, huge barrier to doing info lots. Builders aren't looking to build on one lot. Like they're not investing that. If you have seven lots in a row and it was subdivided or something like that, yeah, maybe they're going to buy build seven houses and there's a ton of money in it for you and them. But I, I, I just, I don't see a ton of money being made in them. I see deals every single week. Um, I turn down funding opportunities every single week in terms of uh, info lots, stuff like that. I'm not saying there's none out there and people do make millions of dollars a year on info lots. Um, but I do not think there's the same opportunity in info lots as there was 12, 18 months ago due to the recession. And I do not think it's even close to being comparable to bigger land. Yeah. And as the housing market drops, land is never affected as much as the housing market generally. But infill lots are, you do have the same type of trends. And inventory with houses are still short. And I think it so much depends on the market conditions, Ron. Just market conditions with infill lots matter so much more. If you do not have active builders in that area, you are not going to sell your infill lot typically. And, and that's where, like, I think, I think that's where the main difference is, Ron. Like, we can sell land in probably the slowest and hottest markets the land that we're talking like yep. non-infill lots, rural vacant land, we can sell that in any market. I feel like these, these infill lots are much more dependent on the actual market conditions, Ron. Without a doubt. Um, there's just, and the, the way I put it is there's just one use case for an infill lot and it is building a house. Uh, maybe it's meant, meant for a mobile home, which I like more. Um, but uh, if it's restricted and a lot of them are restricted where you can't put mobile homes, the only use case for a, quarter of an acre info lot outside of a decent sized city is building a house. So your only buyer really is a developer and families really aren't buying land to build a house on it. Like that's just not what they're doing. There's not money in it for them. They're going to lose a ton of money. I was reading Dan, the cost of a per square to build a house and it is insane right now. Like you cannot make money building houses really. If you're like a family that's buying the land and then you're paying someone if you're building the house yourself, like, yeah, maybe you can make a little bit and earn a little bit of equity, but it's way cheaper to buy houses that were built eight, 10 years ago. Uh, so that's what people are doing. And that's why these info lots are sitting on the market. And you'll see some subdivisions, Daniel, that have 20 info lots all for sale and they're not being touched at all. We saw it last night in the call, a competition, one across the street that was for sale. And it's you, if you buy these info lots, you're competing with all these other properties for sale and you might sell it for way, way less than what the market, what you think, because the market has dropped so fast. It is crazy. Like I was looking at one of our section eight properties, Ron, and the rebuild cost was like $500,000. Yep. And that is not a $500,000 <laughs> property. It's like a $200,000 property. And it, it's like, that's an extreme example, Ron, but that is how it is. Like Think of in Cincinnati, Ohio, where the, like the Midwest, where properties are so cheap. There's no way you can build a house for $200,000. You can go buy one on the market for two hundred. dollars You are not building one for under $200,000. And I think it makes like these new builds like down in markets like this where people are willing to dish out, you know, $1.5 million, $900,000, 700 minimum for new builds, 800 probably. Yep. I feel like that's where it makes most sense for this, Ron. But in certain cheaper markets where houses just aren't going for that much, the building costs are so expensive, it does not make sense. And generally, we see land being sold, infill lots being sold at like 15 to 25% of what that future home value is. 
for sure. Yeah. And I think, uh, I, I remember now, I think it was 200, it's, it's a wide variation. It's 200 to $400 per square foot to build a house right now. And I don't remember when that data exactly was from, but it was in the last year is what I saw. That's obviously a huge spread, but a 2000 square foot house, that's, that's a cost to build, not even talk about the land of whatever, uh, 400 to $800,000 just to build. And obviously it changes market to market, but there's not, a, that's why I'm very against info lots right now. A lot of it, is, it just doesn't fit what we're doing. It's really hard for any price to flip them fast, to be honest with you. And that, that's why the money is, uh, and that's why you have a lot of sellers right now too, Daniel. There's a lot of people trying to sell you their info lots and a lot of deals that are gonna look good on paper uh, but if you're looking at comps from a year ago, 18 months ago, those comps that that market has dropped probably 30, 20 to 30 percent, I'd imagine. Yeah. And the more you talk, the more I'm just thinking about modular homes. I know that's the future. Like things are going modular. We're going to build houses in in indoors in manufacturing plants around because there's just so much waste and it's just so expensive to put all these people on a job site to build. Like you're saying, what would you say, 200 to 400 dollars a square foot? Yeah. What was that? What was that company? Elon Musk just had his house built. What, do, you, do you did you see that? I, I don't remember the company. It was a modular home though, correct? Yeah, they, they had a, there's a YouTube video like going through their factory and it is like a factory thing. And that's what they talk about. Like nothing has changed in the building industry in 50 years. There's no reason for them to be people hammering these things together and taking 12 months to build a house um, and doing this in all different conditions. You don't have to worry about the conditions in a factory uh, in terms of the weather, I guess I'm saying. The, the issue a lot of times with the modular is a lot of cities restrict them too. So they're the modular industry is faced with a lot of different, uh, you know, you have the whole construction industry kind of against it, Ron, and fighting it. It's kind of like electric versus oil right now. It's just like, it's a hard thing to overcome. A construction industry is extremely tenured and old school, like you said. So it's not easy to just make change overnight. And one of the things they're facing is a lot of the county restrictions. If they, they, they'll say like, they'll classify modular as mobile and it's not like, look at some of these nice modular homes. Like you have some 2,500 you know, 2,000, 2,500, 3,500 houses, beautiful modern construction places being built, Ron. And that's 100% the future. And it just like, I, I just think until- The counties will say it's site built. That's what their restrictions will be is site built. So like, that's basically restricting anything that's not built on site, uh, saying modular, any of that stuff, mobile, obviously, um, which is crazy. I would love to get like 18 lots next to each other and just start plopping all the same modular home or maybe slightly different builds on it. I'm telling yep. you, man, those things are cheaper. You can buy those for relatively inexpensive. You'll get bulk deals too. Like you're not going to get bulk deals on house deals. Like if you're trying to buy a whole street of houses, you'll get bulk deals if they're doing that in a factory and they just plop them all on there and they can do that in a week in terms once they're all built. Um, I, I think the future is there. If you get ahead of that, there's millions and millions and millions of dollars to be made if you buy into it because it is cheaper. You have to find the right areas and work with that and make sure the restrictions, I think it's really important. I was talking to another land investor who like wants to do that with like smaller modular homes as, and build like a community, which is really cool. Um, th there's just so much opportunity. You get them from anywhere like 800, 800 square feet to like 3,000. 3, I've seen, you know, four or 5,000 or four or 5,000 square foot ones too. And they go really low too, like those little container type of stuff. A lot of those are modular, um, but no, really good opportunities in the modular. Let's get back on topic though. <laughs> but that does kind of relate, Ron, to it does, like 100%. modular infill builds. And I think until we get over that hump, like right now, it just doesn't make sense to build a house if you're not in an extremely expensive market, Ron. But I want to get into some implications of infill lots. We see HOAs, restrictions, 
you know, the, the fees that are due, HOA, HOA fees, uh, all the different restrictions. And the thing is, Ron, it, it makes sense to us to invest in whole, in infill lots when we have enough data. So say we're in a subdivision. We have, you know, four or five data points in the last six months of similar properties being listed. They sold within X amount and there's nothing really for sale. We saw the demands there. That's when it makes sense. But a lot of times on these infill lots or these subdivisions, Ron, we zoomed into a couple, uh, I think it was Wednesday. Yep. And on the call and we zoomed in and there's six different things. It was James's deal he brought, I think actually. And there's like four or five different properties that he'll be competing with in that same subdivision. And that's where it gets a little hairy. But when there's one or two and the price looks really good, you can undercut the market, the money's there to be made. And there's a lot of, a lot of sold data as well, Ron. I think that's when it really makes sense. But let's go into implications a little bit. Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, HOA fees, like the holding cost is not cheap on some of these. And a good portion of these deals, HOAs are very, very common, uh, even if it's something small. And there's a lot of people who don't. You have restrictions like we already talked about with site builder, no mobiles, all this stuff. So then you lose a buyer pull. Um I was just thinking, and also the soil, the quality of the soil, the ground, the perkability of it. Like if you're not getting a perk test before, which I'm kind of in the middle of when I tell people whether to get a perk test or not, but if it's like a quarter acre and your soil and there's no public sewer and there's no, maybe public water, usually there's public water in those, but if there's no sewer and you're going to need a septic system, if something is wrong with that soil, that land is not useless it's just going to take a ton more money to get a non-conventional septic system uh so mm -hmm. there's a lot more risk involved in terms of hoarding holding costs potentially septic issues or not being able to put a traditional septic system in um and that's along with just not having a buyer pull potentially and to be clear guys we're not against info lots we just ron and i's goal and missions creating helping people create freedom and we want to get you your first deal or your deal or get you your full-time income whatever you're looking for in the quick quickest and simplest and most profitable way and i don't think infill lots is necessarily that especially when you look at all the implications ron that you're talking about so i'm not here to bash infill lots i know i personally know people making seven eight figures off infill lots a year ron but they're specialists they niche down they know land really well Starting out, there's just a lot of risk and implications in info lots, Ron. Yeah, and I wonder what kind of what drives people to start. If you've done nothing in real estate, nothing in land, like what questions me like is what drives people to start there? Whether it's uh, being misled potentially by what do you say wholesaling? I said, well, think about it. Like, I no, well, that too. Wholesalers are driving it, but like people think of when think of when take a step back and think of when people first start. They think raw land in the middle of Alabama, why would anyone buy 10 acres, five acres in the middle of Alabama? There's not a market for it. So when they're thinking of land, they're like, oh, I want to get close to, you know, Atlanta, Georgia, get some, you know, infill lots in Atlanta, the desire, you know what I mean? So just, I think that's naturally how they, how we think we don't, we just don't think the demand's going to be there without knowing more information and context around the, like people just don't think that we're going to buy land in the middle of Missouri and be able to sell it. I guess when you think about land, like that makes a lot of sense, putting in perspective. And I've just doing this for so many years, like we don't really, it, obviously it's kind of changed our point of view. People will buy land wherever, 10, 15, 20, 50 acres, wherever. Like you cannot pick a place in the United States where, you, where we would not be able to sell a 50 acre property. Uh, that being said, I 100% agree with you on the mindset thing. Like why is someone, we suggest buying land two to three counties removed from decent cities. 
Um, and from the other perspective, from a new person's perspective, I completely get that for sure. People don't view land as recreational as much. I think the traditional person doesn't view land as recreational. It's a place for a house. Exactly. Well, let's get into the last segment, Ron, uh, kind of just going over things that we touched on. And I don't want people to get burned when investing in wholesaling or when investing. I keep saying wholesaling because I affiliate that with info lots now. When invested in info lots, Ron, or they're looking to get into it, let's just touch on some things to look out for going over everything we talked about. So if, if there's the first thing I want to touch on, Ron, if there's no neighbors, right, you're the only lot that's going to have yep. a building, you think someone's going to build there, you have no neighbors, there's 80% of them are vacant, that is a red flag. But in hot markets, guys, make sure to look at current pictures or the most up to date pictures or copy and paste the addresses yep. in and try to see because those satellites images from Google, or wherever you're getting the satellite could be from four years ago and in Austin, Texas, you know, or Nashville, Tennessee, or Charlotte, North Carolina, four years is a long time for a subdivision to be built out. So things can change, but look out for the kind of like the law of just run just vacant, vacant parcels. And then looking at other vacant land on in the market. So yeah, you don't want, you don't want to be competing with eight other parcels in your subdivision. You want to be the only half acre parcel for sale in your subdivision. Um, maybe one of three, if it's a really big subdivision, what something like that. And you want things to be moving. Like Daniel said, you do not want to be around a ton of other vacant lots. It's not necessarily, it doesn't usually, uh, mean it's a desirable subdivision, uh, restrictions, all that stuff is really important. Um, HOAs, knowing HOAs, knowing buildability and, uh, understanding perk and knowing the soil, getting people out there to actually look, make sure it's not a runoff area, Dan, where it's just people's runoff from the parcels around it. That's what happens at a lot of the, on a lot of these vacant infill lots. So, uh, I think, are those all Dan? Those are the main ones. Uh, HOA fees, restrictions. Uh, the one thing you need is just desirability in general yep. of the market. Like are, is there, are there going to be builders out there? And you can usually see that by looking at the sold or for sale comps and seeing how things are moving. You don't want to be one of 20 properties in one subdivision for sale, unless you're undercutting them by 40, 50%. If there's that mm -hmm. many, Ron, if there's two or three, you want to undercut them by 10 to 20%, be the best one to sell it quick. And you just want to make sure you're not one of 50, like, especially out West Ron. goodness. We looked at properties out West. And there was 50 plus properties in the same subdivision, but they were selling. We told the person, I think, yes, just because there's so many more sold than for sale. And we thought they could, they had enough room to undercut the whole market. That was a good deal. The demand seemed to be there. Yeah, it was a really good deal. Yeah. But there was, you just got to be, you got to be able to undercut the market. If there's other things for sale, you need to undercut the market significantly with uh, these uh, infill lots, especially. And we suggest that for bigger lots as well. But yeah, there, there, there's a lot of risk in them, guys. I'm not saying don't do them, but hopefully some of these red flags, yellow flags that we're mentioning here kind of give you a second glance. And like the red flag of there being properties not built anywhere close is a like a stopping point for me. I will not do deals like that. Um, there are not going to be end buyers if if you see the state of uh, if you see a county or a government owning all of the other land in the subdivision, it's usually not a good sign because those were probably all foreclosed because no one wanted them. Exactly. And make sure to check out if, uh, if you guys are looking and it's all vacant, make sure to look at when the subdivision, if it was just formed in 2018 and 50% of them are full, that's not a horrible, horrible no. sign, Ron, if they're filling up that quick. So make sure to look at when the subdivision was there. If it was there since 1990 and there's two places built on that whole 200 
different lots subdivision run that's a really bad sign so what we're saying there's a lot of variables bring them to our calls we'll review them with you guys put it in the discord we'll review it with you guys thank you for joining if you guys have not please leave us a review on apple podcast it really helps our business grow and we really really appreciate it but other than that guys thank you for joining and we'll see you next episode thanks guys